Quick quiz. Interactive. Help me, help me figure out the famous love story opening lines together. What story begins with two households, both alike in dignity and fair Fiona, where we, Romeo and Juliet. You guys were quick on that one. Let's see if you can get the next one here. Once upon a time in a faraway land, there was a tiny kingdom, peaceful, prosperous, and rich in romance and tradition. Walt Disney had recreated this one. Cinderella starts out that way. How about a movie from the 1990s? It starts like this with this opening line to this love story. Mommy got sick and it happened. Just like that and there was nothing anybody could do. If we start asking why, we'll go crazy. So rule number one, we don't ask why. Anybody know? Tom Hanks lives in Seattle. He's tired. Sleepless in Seattle. Okay, all right. Or how about the opening line from this famous novel released about 200 years ago, but so many movies have been adapted from it. It starts with, it's, it's a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Pride and prejudice, it is. Snickers goes out to the lady. Or how about this book, which became very popular just a few years back and became the beginning of a saga. I'd never given it much thought to know how I would die, though I had reason enough in the last few months. But even if I had, I would not have imagined it like this. Anybody know? Twilight. Twilight. There we go. It's Twilight. Some of you are like, what is that again? I don't know what that is. Well, they became vampires and, you know, it's quite a romance. Humans and vampires become quite a romance together. The story I'd like to tell you is one of a love story, though it may not be interesting, but it's a love story nonetheless. It's one that uh, it may not even be good, but that doesn't bar it from being a love story. I mean, really, honestly, if someone were to write your story, would it be interesting? Would it be any good? And while I'm not positive how to give the opening lines before it, I know it's not going to start as clever as the ones you've just heard. Because uh, this love story seems strained. It seems one-sided. And oftentimes, love seems non-existent. And I assure you that it's a love story, though, nonetheless. Some of you will leave here today, and you'll say something like this to your first-time guest. You'll say, man, he was really off today. That wasn't normal. You know, there's some things in life that are better caught than taught. And this is one of them. How do you teach love? So the story begins with the line, they were married. I assume madly in love, it never tells us. They have no real future, no real future prospects for that matter. And while their relationship is historic, the wedding itself, the event, was not. History actually just sums it up like this. Abram married, and his wife's name was Sarai. That was so many years ago. I mean, many, many, 3,000 years ago to be exact. So it would make some sense. It shouldn't surprise us that their big day has been hidden away in just the sands of time. Marriage. Marriages are never as simple nor as thoughtful as weddings, are they? 
Weddings are so crafted and well-planned. Time and effort go into weddings. Selecting the right color, wording the right vows, picking the right songs, making sure the flowers are just right. We even, we even adjust our steps as we march away to the stage, making sure that the groomsmen have counted them before they make, make their way to their positions. Weddings are scripted. Marriages are not. And for years, Abraham and Sarah, also known as Abraham and Sarah, had built a life after they were married, and they established themselves in a city called Ur. It was located on beachfront property, the city thriving with people. They were comfortable. They were happy. They were living normal lives, childless, but normal lives. That was until God spoke to them. Here's what God said. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. He's childless. And I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And I will be a blessing. You'll be a blessing. I I, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. You know, when God speaks into your life, you'll never be the same. Those words, those are life-changing words to Abraham and Sarah. First, they were moving. Uh, Moving away from family, moving away from friends, moving away from normalcy. And anytime you, you make a move, no matter how great, no matter how small, it stirs up emotions, excitement, anxiety, even even fear. What ifs are a part of making any kind of change in life, aren't they? What if this move doesn't work out? What if we don't find friends? What if our house doesn't sell, Abraham? What if faith is needed when taking a step into an unknown future? And Abraham heard the call, not Sarah. She didn't hear God's voice. He's 75 years old. She's 65. They've already been through a lot together. And I wonder if Sarah just kind of sarcastically said to her husband, we're too old to move. Plus, we have all this junk. What are we going to do with it? Second, they were moving, but they didn't know where they were moving to. Blindly moving. And God's word says, well, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. And even though he did not know where he was going, Sarah loved her mate. She must have, right? To follow him into the bleakness of their future. And she cherished Abraham enough to follow him and make sure that his dreams were fulfilled. And I think, I think when you cherish someone, You want to help them accomplish their dreams. Okay, that's to say that their dreams aren't hurting the family. That their dreams aren't sacrificing their faith. That their dreams aren't overriding their commitment to Christ. But when you cherish somebody, you want them to accomplish their dreams. People who cherish one another help each other accomplish dreams. 
And if you cherish someone, you, you trust them. And even though they don't have the full details in front of them, you, you trust them in the hopes that they're doing what is right. So without complaint, Sarah, she made the move and they settled into this new area, this region called Canaan. And just as they got, everything moved into their new house. A massive famine ravaged the land. No food in the cupboards. No food in the fridge. No food in the fields. And they're forced to move again. They decide it's best to move to a place that has plenty of food. I mean, that's probably for the best. And so Sarah and Abraham pick up their stuff. And they move to a place called Egypt. And they wait out the famine there. Oh, I assure you, they were pilgrims in an unholy land. Their faith in God made them different. And just their appearance made them stand out as outsiders. And as they traveled, and before they got there, Abraham looked at his wife and recognized how lovely she is, how beautiful and pleasing to the eyes she is. And he is consumed with with fear. And he says to Sarah, you're so good looking that I'm going to be a target. And Abraham's thinking is, men will kill me so they can have their way with her. So he develops a plan, a plan that only a cowardly husband could devise in the recesses of his mind. And he said to her, look, you're a very beautiful woman. As if he had to level with her. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife? Let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them, Please tell them that you're my sister. Then they'll spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. May I say, bad decisions made with good intentions are still bad decisions. And all of us have done, I think, something silly. We've all done some things destructive, not meaning to, thinking it was the right or best intentions. And Abraham had thought that saying Sarah was his sister would not only spare his life, but also keep her from harm's way. Uh, Boy, he was wrong. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. And when the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king. And Sarai was taken to his palace, taken to his palace, believing that she was Abram's sister. Oh, he was given good money in return for what was collected. If Sarah ever wanted to know her worth in life, she just found it. She was worth a sheep, a goat, a camel, donkeys, and a few servants. Abraham's plan to save his own skin was pretty selfish. You know, when God decided to save us, he didn't consider himself. He only considered you. Pharaoh's palace was inflicted with a terrible disease, and Pharaoh interpreted that disease came about because of his deal, his bad deal with Abraham. And he quickly kicked Sarah out of the harem and gave Abraham the third degree for lying to him, I think you know you've done something wrong when a pagan king can lecture you about morals. 
And Sarah and Abraham ran away from Egypt as fast as they could, humiliated, disgraced. And Sarah's willingness to follow her husband in full and blind faith is a bit perplexing. She must have cherished him to the moon and back. Maybe what we just saw there was just the first time of mistrust. Maybe that was one of those rare moments where Abraham steered his wife in the wrong direction because she doesn't seem to hold it against him. But how could you not? She continued to trust him and to love him. And I think it's because when you cherish someone, you can forgive their faults and their failings. Because holding a grudge is like drinking poison, expecting that the other person will die. And you can't change your past. You can't forget it. You can't edit it. You can't simply erase it. But here's what you can do with it. You can accept it. You can forgive it. And you can move forward in spite of your past. And she must have cherished Abraham to forgive him of his faults and his failings. Now, now, I mean, you have to remember lingering in the back of their mind, Abraham and Sarah's mind was this original blessing, that blessing that said, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others, except they're childless. And even though they thought, it's time to start a family, they couldn't. They're older than most parents, but I don't remember any time when age disqualified you from being a mommy or a daddy. So they try keeping in God's promise. They try keeping in faith. They try, but they're, well, they're unsuccessful. She's 65 years old. And I'm sure she hid her pain from her husband. She probably smiled like nothing was wrong, pretended like everything was all right, acted like it was all a part of God's perfect plan. I'm fine. This is the way God wants it. And even though she struggled with a hurt that only she could hurt with, she lied through her pain. She was broken, though. I mean, be confident. Sarah is broken. She cannot give her husband what he so desperately wants and what God has promised a baby. And while it's left to our imagination, what could have possibly have been said during that tough time between the two in their moment of heartache, we can only be left assured that Abraham must have said words that were gentle and kind and reassuring. There was no blame laid at Sarah's feet, only words of love and affirmation. And I think that's why when you cherish someone, you'll consider their thoughts and their feelings. You see, people who follow God are, are taught to cherish others. It's, it's a more advanced and deeper than what we can learn from our surroundings. You see, someone who cherishes another always protects, always protects. Always trusts, always trusts. Always hopes, always hopes. Always perseveres, always perseveres. God said it like this, love never gives up. Never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. They must have believed that. 
Okay, this is the part of the story <laughs> where desperate times call for desperate measures. Hippocrates, who's the father of modern medicine, he had said it like this. For extreme diseases, extreme methods of cure, meaning get radical when your back is against the wall. I think that's a term for this story, which means we're about to give up all hope here in what God has promised to us. And the problem with desperate measures during desperate times is desperate people often do dumb things. You see, if desperate times call for desperate measures, then I am free to act as reckless as I want to be. And this is why Sarah decided upon this despicable plan of desperation. She was reckless when she said, the Lord has kept me from having children go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, if there ever was a way to wreck a marriage, she just planned it. The thing about desperate people is I think they can be so persuasive. And Abraham agreed to what Sarah had said. So began, uh, to say the least, an awkward time in their relationship with one another. A son was born, not as the way God had planned it, but a son was born. His name was Ishmael. And you know how there are people in your life who bring trouble everywhere they go? They don't intend to make ripples, but they just can't seem to let still waters lie still. That was Ishmael. And Sarah despised him. Sarah despised his mother. She was angry and mean-spirited towards them. You could say that Sarah is reaping what she has sown. She was trying to make matters better, but really what she did was she made matters worse because desperate measures call for desperate times and often leads to desperate people doing dumb things. And I think when you cherish someone, you'll do everything you can to keep them grounded in their faith, but that's not what we see here. We just have witnessed the valley, the gutter, the dregs. You see, even great men and women of faith have faithless moments. That's something to remember. That great men and great women of the faith have faithless moments. This is one of them. You see, they were trying to solve their problems with fleshly solutions. And we caught Abraham and Sarah in the gutter. And this is as low as their trust in God is going to get. To try to override God's plan with your own human instincts and ideas is not only faithless, it's arrogant. And God told them, God told them he would. They needed to trust that he will. I suppose as a screenwriter... That's where you would break and write in capital letters, act one. I'm a preacher, not a screenwriter. So who am I to say? But there should be a, an interlude, a, a break, something here in the story to say, just rest for a minute. Take a break from the story. Recount what you have just heard and, and think about it so that you can go into the next act, act two, with a fresh perspective. But there is no interlude in life. There are no breaks or pauses 
or rests. And that was true for Abraham and Sarah. Life is busy. Life is frantic. It moves forward. Ready or not, here it comes. And so, so don't think every waking hour was spent with a discussion between Abraham and Sarah not having children. I think there were moments around the table probably where Sarah said to Abraham using words like, I wish it would happen. If we have a baby, we'll call him. But never the words, never the words when. Oh, that, that word has been long set aside. When we'll have a baby? When hasn't been said in years. That was until three visitors showed up at the house. And there's a knock at the door. And even when it looked impossible and the odds were stacked against them, God, the creator of the universe, the most high God, has a way of bringing our dreams back. When you think that they have been ripped from you, God can bring those dreams back with a single encounter at a simple knock on the door. And God that day was knocking on Sarah and Abraham's door and they were completely unexpected. And God said to them, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, if that wasn't God saying that, if that was just somebody pretending to be God, that would be the cruel joke to the household. Abraham is nearly a century old right now. Sarah is far beyond the time of life that she can bear a child, and she is only a decade behind younger than her husband. And what's worse is she can overhear what God has just said. She's in a tent, and a tent offers no privacy. And she can eavesdrop on the conversation as God says, your wife will have a son, she, well, you know what she, you know what she did. She did what any of us would do. She, she didn't trust God. Genesis says it like this, Sarah was listening to the conversation from the tent. Abraham and Sarah were both very old by this time, and Sarah was a long past the age of having children. So, so she, she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially when my master, my husband, is also so old. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's a pretty good question. When your dreams have become dim and you've given up hope, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I'll return about this time next year and Sarah will have a son. Now, you know, Sarah denied laughing. She, but God knew she did and wondered if, I wonder if God was thinking, you laugh now, Sarah, but I'm going to have the last laugh. And then what we find is them coming from the valley to the mountaintop, from the gutter up from the grave to something greater. And their faith in what God said has reignited itself. And they, 
They no longer see the impossibilities that lie ahead. They only see the possibilities that are in front of them with God. They must have thought, with God, all things are possible. You know, it was later written of Sarah that by faith, barren Sarah was able to become pregnant. Old woman as she was at the time, because she believed this one who made a promise would do what he said. That's how it happened. That from one man's dead and shriveled loins, there there are now people numbering into the millions. You know, your faith has the power to move mountains, but your doubt has the power to create them. And Abraham and Sarah's faith was rewarded. And Sarah had a son. They called him Isaac, which means laughter. And Sarah had said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. This story, I think, right here would be the perfect ending. Child has arrived, promise fulfilled, dream accepted, and to write the end of the script here, and they lived happily ever after, would be the greatest ending. Everything was complete. But this isn't a Disney story. This is real life. A life of faith is never free from obstacle, and there in the shadows of this story is a little boy and his mother, Ishmael is still around, and he is the daily heartburn of Sarah. And Abraham has done all he could to be kind to Ishmael and to be kind to his mother, trying to keep the peace with Sarah all the while. And now, now Isaac is here, and Sarah says, Ishmael must go. And the story here seems so heartless. I mean, to push a mother and her kid out of the house Especially when your plans created the problem. Seems heartless. The only solution that Abraham could come up with with, to please his wife was to remove the boy and his mother from the family. So the next day, God assured Abraham that Ishmael and his mother would be well taken care of. So Abraham, calloused heart, pushes them out. Gives them just enough food and water for a few days. Let's them be to their own devices in a, in a desert. Oh, we're told that Ishmael almost nearly dies out there if it wasn't for God's intervention. Look, I know that when you cherish somebody, when you cherish someone, you sacrifice for the needs of that someone. And it is quite clear to me, if not to you, that Abraham and Sarah did not cherish Ishmael. They cherished Isaac. Now, Ishmael's story is another book completely. However, Abraham and Sarah's story is far from over. And though I cannot tell you the whole story here today, I can tell you that their their life was filled with trauma. Their love story was bumpy, to say the least. Take that time when Isaac turned 13 years of age and God had asked Abraham to do the most strangest of things. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Now, that's a strange request of God. That's not a normal request. However, Abraham willfully obeyed, and the next day took his only son to the mountaintop, and there he drew a knife, and about ready to plunge it into the boy's chest, God stopped his arm in motion and spared the boy And God saw Abraham's faith and obedience that day. And he said, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld your son, your only son, 
I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants will conquer, will conquer the cities of their enemies. Now I have to assume, and so must you, as you, as you listen on to what has been said, that there is and had to have been more happy moments than what we just heard. I mean, God's word, though, doesn't show us those happy moments, but I think that we could all be assured that there were. And I think the reason why God leaves them out is so that we'll be reminded that even the deepest of love relationships are messy and complicated. That even faithful men and women have periods of life that are faithless. Both Abraham and Sarah lived long lives. She died at 127 years, and it just says of Abraham, he wept over her. He must have thought about how she stuck by his side through the good and the bad years. Abraham was an immortal. He died at the age of 175, was buried next to his wife with the last act of love, side by side in death. And Isaac went on. Isaac went on to marry a beautiful woman. Her name was Rachel, or Rebecca, rather. And they had twins, Jacob and Esau, and they had kids, and those kids had kids, and those kids had kids, and Abraham finally became what God had promised, the father of a great nation whose descendants were like the stars in the sky and as impossible to count as the sand on the seashore. Good place to say the end. You know the word cherished? Do you know what it means? It means to care for lovingly. The story you heard is a love story. May not have been interesting. May not have been good. But it was a love story. Probably wasn't about the two that you thought. It was a love story of how God cherished faithless people in difficult times. It was a love story of how God loves you so much that when you fail, when you lead messy lives, when your faith is non-existent, or your attitude is poor, or when even you laugh in God's face and question his plans for your life, God never stops cherishing you. All of us have a love story. How does yours begin? Now, I know the ending is far from written. God's love never ends. But how does your love story begin? Would you write, it, was, it wasn't love at first sight for me, but it certainly was for him. Or, I fought with him for the longest time, but he never could be pushed away. You think maybe your, your story might begin with, it was a normal Sunday I decided to go to church even though I wanted to sleep in. I'm glad I did. Because I made a decision that day to follow Jesus. And that decision changed my life forever. You see, today you get to write your own story. And you get to choose how it begins.